Welcome to the Yumnest in Africa podcast. I am your host, Prudence Nyamshana. The environment and human rights at a glance look like two mutually exclusive concepts. But it quickly dawns on you that our very existence as humans depends on a safe, clean and healthy environment. Balancing biodiversity and our existence is central to future generations. If the environment is our source of existence as human beings, why aren't we prioritizing taking care of our habitat? Why are governments and multinational companies prioritizing profit over the well-being of the planet? The earth and climate science requires that we stop any new fossil fuel investments and also phase down existing one if we are to have any hope of meeting the Paris goal of 1.5 degrees Celsius temperature rise relative to pre-industrial levels. Today, I am speaking to Aaron Kiza, a Ugandan lawyer and environmental rights defender to speak about environmental rights in Uganda in light of the planned East African crude oil pipeline. You are very welcome to this podcast, Aaron. How are you doing today? I'm doing well. How are you? You seemed like you had a very busy day. <laughs> yeah, it is my signature day in the trenches. Mm. Yeah. Okay, so I would like us to dive straight into our conversation. Human rights and the environment. How are those concepts related? Yeah, both of them aim at making life better. Human rights relate to the entitlements that people are born with. Uh, it seeks to promote human dignity. Mm-hmm. The environment is our home. It feeds us. It gives us medicine. Ensures that um, we live a happy life. The trees, the birds, the world, the fauna and flora, the oceans, the sky, all are very important to the existence of human beings. So a healthy and decent and clean environment is very critical for the enjoyment of our human rights, our human dignity. Mm-hmm. When the environment is attacked, when nature is degraded, when there is pollution, then human beings fall sick. And when that spirals out of control, human beings can be wiped out completely. Mm. So it is very important for both human health and uh, for the environment that uh, what we do enhances the environment because the environment is really our mother in every sense. It's our parent, it's our hospital. The environment is our school. We study a lot from the environment and we depend on it for everything. So for the socio-economic rights to food, to water, to work, all of them directly depend on the environment, but so are the civil liberties that we enjoy. Freedom from detention, freedom of expression, uh, the right to have a scopus, due process, all of those are perfunctory and useless unless we are living in a thriving environment that is conducive for life. That's why the struggle, for example, against climate change is very critical 
because climate change is the biggest threat of life on us as we know it today. Tell me your journey into defending Mother Earth. That journey starts uh, spontaneously from birth. You are fascinated with trees, with plants, with fruits, with flowers, and you don't know about it. Mm-hmm. You, But eventually, of course, it takes on some formality once you have schooled, once you have researched about the environment, read about it, and enjoyed being in the environment. I do enjoy the company of trees, for instance. I do like the cascading waterfalls, watching them, be, being near them. I don't mind swimming on a good sunny afternoon. So the fact that I benefit is really partly selfish. I need the environment for my own happiness. So little wonder that I have to defend it. But also it is very clear wherever I look in Uganda, that the environment is under attack, that there is a lot of uh, environmental degradation, poor waste disposal, a lot of pollution, plastic, industrial pollution. There is uh, deforestation at an alarming rate. There are sustained attacks on wetlands. Wherever you look, to the extent of people building them, factories, deforestation, and so on and so forth. So investors are making uh, our biodiversity hotspots, they are soft targets because they are cheap and they are easily, they can easily negotiate with government functionaries and grab them. So all of these are issues that um, motivate me to fight back as a citizen of this country and as an environmentalist and to use the law, being a lawyer, to try to fight back, to try to push back against this corporate and uh, individual and military onslaught on the environment. The Guardian newspaper earlier this year reported that more than ever, environmental rights defenders are at risk, with over 331 murdered in 2021. And you yourself have been in trouble because of defending the environment. Why is this so? Because the people that are against the environment come with a lot of money and with a lot of guns and a lot of impunity given that they are state back. So you're dealing with international global finance, global capital, and also you're dealing with the military with all its impunity, with all its command and control, and its uh, opposition and uh, disrespect for rule of law, it's hostility to human rights and it's unpreparedness to be told what to do by civilians, by indigenous people. Mm-hmm. So these people come knowing that they are all-knowing, all-powerful, and they don't want anyone to step in their way. Of course, their aim is profit at the end of the day, private profit. So anything that stands between them and profit, then they are going to clear it. Whether it's a forest, whether it's a human being, whether it's a government regulation, whether it's a bureaucrat, and you as a human rights defender, you are trying to use the law, you are trying to trigger state institutions to work, you are trying to ensure that some regulation somewhere is applied so that a a forest is saved, a wetland is not degraded, and people lead their lives in a clean environment. Hmm. That annoys them, and they think that you are an enemy, they mistake you for an enemy, and enemies are shot at or alienated, they are not given flowers. Right. You have paid a personal price as a human rights defender. Just give us a story, one of the instances where you have had to pay a price. 
um, you have to sometimes travel at night. One time I was traveling and my car broke down and it was in the middle of a swamp, a bad road. So I thought, oh God, I need to get out of here. Mm-hmm. It wasn't uh, long before I was having to deal with police summons and having to gather around activists and um, an army of lawyers to try to, 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 to restore myself. Basically, my activism and the human rights defense was being criminalized. I was being converted from a human rights defender into a criminal suspect. Mm. And I have had some death threats at least on two occasions and by God's grace they have not materialized. So there's a price to pay. There is social and family pressure on you to abandon that hard work and be like other lawyers and look for a bank to retain you and you earn some money. Tempting, but it's not as important as the work we do, which is important for human being and for nature. Let's talk about the East African uh, crude oil pipeline. What are its human rights implications? What is it about for those who don't know about it? And why should the world pay attention to it? ECOP, as it is called, the East African crude oil pipeline, is uh, an oil pipeline that is going to be running from Kavale in Hema district of Uganda to the tank port of Tanzania at the Indian Ocean. The oil in Uganda is waxy and it has to be heated. It will be heated at 50 degrees Celsius. It will be buried, but there will be some construction edifice, at least three of them along that pipeline. And that pipeline itself will have feeder pipelines from the national parks, from under, and if it will be sucking water from directly from Lake Albert, it will cross the Lake Victoria Basin, and it serves, this is the lake, the second freshwater lake in the world, which serves the countries of Uganda, Tanzania, and Kenya, among others, estimated to be feeding around 40 million people. So its water basin, once it is uh, polluted, all those livelihoods could be at stake. Mm-hmm. It uh, jeopardizes the wildlife and the biodiversity in the hotspots, including our national park of national of Maction, Forest National Park, where at least 10 whereabouts will be sunk. The same story is for TZ, there will be protected areas which it will rip through. So the right to a clean and healthy environment, which is a, a protected by both the Ugandan constitution, the African Charter, and has also now been affirmed by the UN General Assembly, will be at stake, will be threatened and violated. Oil spills and an engineering reality, they will come and pollute, affecting our health. And uh, as the World Health Organization and 200 other health institutions reaffirmed on 14 September this year, oil extraction will lead to causes cancer. It causes blood complications and birth complications, among other health complications, in addition to fossil fuel pollution contributing a lot to the annual death of 7 million people who die from pollution annually. It's a very dangerous undertaking per se. The the, the oil experiment, the health and climate science no longer requires it, forbids it. The health and climate science requires that we stop any new fossil fuel investments 
and also phase down existing one if we are to have any hope of meeting the Paris goal of 1.5 degrees Celsius temperature rise relative to pre-industrial levels. There are procedural rights too. The right to, uh, of public participation in environmental decision making is not being respected because only a few perfunctory consultations have been made with the project affected persons. But also the right to property is being prejudiced with the mm -hmm. fact that uh, the compulsory land acquisition is leading to displacement of so many people and the compensations are delayed and most times very, very insufficient. So the rights to property, the rights to fair hearing, due process, uh, free prior and informed consent, clean and healthy environment, human health are going to be jeopardized by this ECOP. It is going to be a health, environmental, climatic and human rights disaster. That's why some of us are standing up to it, calling for it to be stopped because it's hard to stop it. Uh, we need to work uh, like Ruto in his recent article in the Guardian advised fellow African leaders. We need to focus on renewables. We need to go for this just energy transition. Mm -hmm. Africa has enough sunshine, enough wind and enough other resources to including hydropower to generate power, to power its development in a clean, fossil fuel-free manner rather than embrace energy, that energy of the past, which is going to worsen our vulnerability to climate change. We need to have in mind that African countries are the most vulnerable to climate change. Mm. So we cannot afford to exacerbate it. We cannot afford to exacerbate it when we know that we don't have to do with the loss and damage that is going to result. We need to do everything possible to fix climate change, even when we have been unfairly dealt this hand of climate change by, by, by the world, especially the developed world contributing most of it and doing very little in terms of providing climate finance to act on it to fix it in a classic case of climate injustice. So in light of your campaign Stop ECOB, how has the government responded? The government is responding in the very unfortunate way of siding uh, and standing with with the corporate polluters against the people, the planet and the environment of Uganda. It is uh, harassing environmental defenders, mm -hmm. students who demonstrate in support of the EU resolution that is querying the ECOP and uh, trying to stop ECOP are arrested and some tortured, including some who are still nursing injuries. So there are no rights to speak about ECOP to oppose it. Those rights are clearly in the jeopardy. Government blackmails you as anti-development, as unpatriotic, un as if you're mad. They won't project like you're mad. And even the little discussion on ECOP that is ongoing in the country, because a lot of it had been silenced, it's resurgence to, to the EU resolution. Mm -hmm. Because now there was one group of people, one parliament that the, the president couldn't buy out, couldn't intimidate. There is a group of what he calls young ladies, young, yeah, young men whom he couldn't imprison. Mm -hmm. 
mm. and those are the European parliamentarians. But those he can imprison, as we have, as we saw a few weeks ago, they are in detention, and we had to uh, invoke uh, to involve to get involved to intervene legally to get them bail. Yeah, you mentioned but that the criminal charges are still slapped on them, and they are battering them. Mm. You recently, indeed, as you've uh, talked about, uh, we are recently on the legal team that represented nine students arrested by police in Uganda for protesting against the ECOP. Take us through what transpired. The EU, I think again on 14 September, passes a resolution red flagging human rights, environmental and climate concerns in the eco project and they urge the government to correct and work on the human rights concerns rather than fix the environmental concerns the queries that were raised by the european parliament our government mobilizing uh, later some school students whom they tricked that they were going to see the country's prime minister Nabanj only to end up to lead them to the EU offices and give them to recite things they didn't know mm. purporting to oppose the EU parliamentary resolution succeed didn't 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 prove as popular they thought it would be and they yeah. collapsed and of course eventually on the media or radio stations or TV and so on and so forth. But meanwhile, they are doing this, but most times the voices of the opposition on, are quiet and silenced and they are only called in cosmetically to balance out equations on some panels and so on and so forth. Mm -hmm. So the government reaction was panic and it was also of, of ruthlessness, trying to silence any local voice because they were trying to project this as an imperialist move mm -hmm. from Europe. Yet they are the people who brought what they are calling imperialists. So the government is trying all sorts of propaganda, uh, blackmailing local human rights defenders, uh, blackmailing also the foreigners who side with us and the environment, also torturing those who try to come out on the streets because people would want to go on the streets and say, not ECOP, stop ECOP, but they are now being limited to the cyberspace. And you know what? In addition to all of those, they have they fast-tracked the law on social media where most of the activism is, is, is going on. Mm. The president also signed the, a law that will mean that you can't talk about or share information that they have not allowed you to do. Basically, they are muzzling us. It's called a computer misuse amendment act of 2020 so they are responding with laws oppressing laws oppressive mm. arrests and detentions and torture all sorts of propaganda and blackmail have you ever like thought uh, to yourself that the government could be genuinely concerned about development using the pipeline because when oil was announced there was excitement and they were saying oh finally we can be like the emirates see how they the abu dhabi is 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 developed and all this there was excitement around oil the excitement was just mistaken because we have always had the best resources in this country and we are not yet the singapore malaysia and indonesia we are not the arab states because of the governance question. Uganda's governance has been 
poor for real decades, but the NRM government is what we are witnessing is probably the worst of what we have had, and it is not what you can have and have a development. You cannot have sustainable development. You cannot have development that we dream of with the NRM government. It's just not possible, mm-hmm. and wouldn't happen whether they use oil flooding the streets of Kampara or were paving houses with gold. That just wouldn't happen. Mm. So it was a mistake. So the foreigners will take 70% and the African states will share 30%, Tanzania 15 and Uganda 15. What little of that will remain will be stolen. Mm-hmm. And if you dare raise your finger, it will be silenced. So there is going to be no development from this, aside from the climatic, biodiversity, and environmental question marks, which are even more important because these are life and death matters in the wake of the climate crisis. The governance itself is rotten, and it's not a governance that can help uplift the standards of living of Ugandans. No, it's just not going to be possible whether we have oil or not. What is to be feared is an oil curse, whereby we have oil, it spills, it is stolen. There is a civil war. The things you see in Nigeria, we don't want a Nigeria destruction here. Mm-hmm. Recently, we listened to a Nigerian activist and she called Nigeria her homeland, the, cap- the poverty capital of the world. We also know that they have recently in Nigeria an illegal oil pipeline was discovered. Like, you don't want another Nigeria destruction. We don't have, and it's not just Nigeria, Southern Sudan, they have oil. What is Southern Sudan, violence. Here is the question that I have had being asked to defenders like yourself. What alternatives are you giving the government of Uganda for sustainable development? The government of Uganda needs to focus on what God has given us. First of all, preserve our nature, preserve our wetlands, preserve our forests. Those will bring in money, they will bring in tourists, and they will help us fight climate change. But also power directed environment with our sun. Can power with just Ghana's sun, the entire mm. of Africa. We don't, then that, we also have hydropower. Like this is just an issue. If it is a development we are focusing on, let's use the resources we have. And as science requires us, now which is very clear, 21st century, 2022, keep fossil fuels in the ground. Mm. Yes. Climate is at risk because of fossil fuels. It is causing a lot of anxiety among this generation and the younger generation, and also parents that are raising children. What do you speak about the state of our climate and the mental health of, uh, of, of Ugandans, for instance? Because we are dealing with an ever-worsening climate crisis, the environment, they are suffering mental trauma because of the, there is anxiety about the nature of the climate. Mm-hmm. That needs counseling, that needs encouragement, and also to be advised that anxiety alone won't solve the problem. We need to be positive about the future while taking action. Mm-hmm. We need to act on, focus on renewables, focus on climate solutions, focus on, on how we can adopt and be resilient to climate change, which is inevitable, and also pressure our governments to mitigate corruption, to avoid anything that uh, exacerbates uh, climate, uh, climate change. As an activist, as a lawyer doing something about it, 
uh, I'm sure you have your own uh, challenges that you face, yeah, in terms of burnout. Have you had such challenges and how are you taking care of yourself? Yeah, burnouts are inevitable because you really apply yourself for it. You immerse yourself in this work and yes, you get uh, fatigued. So we are trying to do exercises. Mm -hmm. We also have on call some counselors who if we think we are bad off, we can reach out and uh, go and talk to. We take rests sometimes when it's too much, then you try to take rest. They are not enough, but at least they mitigate and they avoid the worst case scenario because you can run mad in a work if you don't take some corrective measures and what some people are calling self-care. Mm -hmm. Yes. As we come to a conclusion, I want you to paint for me what you see. The year is 2060. Paint for me, Uganda. No, it will be a different space because most of the spaces in Kampara will not believe where they will be flooding and vulnerable to flooding unless we change something changes dramatically. But like on current evidence, there is nothing we are doing to prepare ourselves for the climate crisis that is worsening. Mm. And yet, you know, with climate changes, you have more landslides. So those people around the landside, the mountain slopes, they will just have to shift or they will have died. People around the river banks of Nyamgamba and Kasese, people in Kasese, like these areas where you see problems will worsen. The hunger in Karamoja will just get worse. What they call the cattle cold, there will be nothing to grind. So animals, crops, and human beings are going to die. And there will be now a population which is will outlive all of these who are survivors or remnants, if you read the Bible, mm -hmm. and they will know how to live in that area and they will be having thicker skin and uh, they will be able to adapt. But in some areas, either new technology comes in or they will be unlivable. Some rivers which were stopped by, they will reclaim their space. Mm. Some lakes which dry down because of this maker. And then some areas will be dry and unlivable because of high temperature. So a new group of human beings will may be populating this space, even if ethnically related to us, but people who are, who are capable of living in those extreme conditions. The good thing is that the human race has shown itself to adapt but the process of adoption is very costly in terms of human cost. There are people who must die either in mostly inadvertently. I mean, you are good sleep and it's raining and you're washed away into mm -hmm. Lake Victoria. And the next, the remaining people will say a prayer and wish you very well. Some people will starve to death like they did starve to death this year and last year. And mm -hmm. uh, for us, we are reducing them into statistics. People died just last month. Even this month in Bari, Kasese. So those things will only increase. They will not reduce. Yeah, but there will be survivors and Uganda will remain. Yeah, what you're describing is very <laughs> apocalyptic and dystopic. It's causing me a lot of anxiety. Um, and also, uh, why aren't people. Where do you think the barrier is that there's urgency, but there's fire on the mountain, but nobody seems to, to care? I think part of human nature is like that. I'm told during the tsunami, some the animals were rushing, escaping, and human beings were just looking, not knowing what to do. Mm. 
Mm. There's always a group of cruelest people in every generation who just don't know what to do. It was the times of Noah in every generation. There's a group of people who, irrespective of evidence in their face, they just don't want to let go of their easy, comfortable lives, or even if uncomfortable lives. People, change is not something that easily comes to some people. Mm. And of course, there is a group of people who know all of this, but they are selfish, and they are therefore they will not inform some people. There is a group of people who are still ignorant, even when all these facts are swirling around, either because of where they stay, far-flung areas, either because of poor education, or because in areas where they stay, they have not faced the the vagaries of nature. And there's a group of people like oil majors who have always known about this, but they have to choose between the, what they know and the profit, and they choose profit of our lives, like and uh, propping up fake scientists to give alternative theories, uh, feeding what you climate skepticism. So there's also a group that that capital which is intending to fight reality as long as it lines their pockets. Mm-hmm. People want to be rich and uh, they will keep misleading others. Then there are governments which are also corrupt, also working with those corporate finance. Yeah, so selfishness can actually cause death. Profit over the planet, yeah. unfortunately. Aaron Kiza, it has been a real honor to host you on this podcast. It's my pleasure always to share ideas with intelligent people like you. Thank you so much. In the next episode, we head to Tanzania to speak to human rights defenders that have paid a heavy price for speaking truth to power. The Tanzanian constitution says that you're innocent until proven guilty. You hadn't been proven guilty, and yet you were not treated by our courts in Tanzania as an innocent person and you were not entitled to bury your mother. You weren't given that right. Please tell your friends about us and join the growing number of Amnesty supporters. To learn more about the work of Amnesty, please visit amnesty.org. This podcast is produced by Eric Minamganju and edited by Sarah Kimani. I have been your host, Prudence Nyamshana. Bye for now. Bye for now.